I'm glad you're here this morning. And I want to I give you a message this morning entitled, Wilt Thou Be Made Whole? And I'd like you to take your Bibles with me and turn to John chapter 5. Do pray for Pastor as he travels, um, that, that especially in this weather that we have, that he would, he, that he would be safe and that he would come back to us uh, quickly. And uh, I can't wait for him to get back. I, I'm really excited Brother Gary's coming home tomorrow. I am really excited. I may meet him at the airport. I don't know. I just might get big balloons and, and, and go meet him and pick him up. And I'm really enthusiastic. I'm, I'm more excited, really, for him to come back and tell us uh, everything he experienced. I, I've, his emails have been so touching. And, and I know that, that, that the Lord has really worked in his heart on this trip. And I can't wait till he comes back and shares all of that with us uh, here at Berean. So I'm, I'm thankful for that. Let's all stand together for just a moment as we read this morning, beginning in in, in John chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is a Jerusalem by the sheep market, a pool, which is called in the Hebrew tongue Bethesda, having five porches. In these lay a great multitude of impotent folk, of blind, halt, withered, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain season into the pool and troubled the water. Whosoever then first after the troubling of the water stepped in was made whole of whatsoever disease he had. And a certain man was there which had an infirmity thirty and eight years. When Jesus saw him lie and knew that he had been now a long time in that case, he saith unto him, Wilt thou be made whole? The impotent man answered him, Sir, I have no man, when the water is troubled, to put me into the pool. Uh, But while I am coming, another steppeth down before me. Jesus saith unto him, Rise, take up thy bed, and walk. Let's pray. Our Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for this time we have together. Holy Spirit of God, I pray now that you would become the teacher of thy word, that you would speak to our hearts, that you would use this message to, to strengthen and to encourage and to motivate your people. We ask you to use this now, and we, we pray that Christ will be glorified in all that will be said and done. And we thank you and we praise you for this. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Today, as I stand here, hundreds of thousands and, yea, perhaps millions of people are sitting in church services around this country and around this world. Many, if not most, of these will hear a message that will not and cannot help them answer today's question, Will thou be made whole? Some today will put their faith in the church itself. They will put their trust in in their church to make them whole in God's sight. Others will put their faith in works, offerings of prayers, acts of contrition, baptism, visitations, and All these, done in a vain effort to gain forgiveness of sin. Then there are those who put no faith in God at all. They deny the existence of a holy, righteous, and sovereign God over them. They insist that we are all the result of an evolutionary process and that the notion of a God is simply ludicrous. In the story we just read, Jesus asks this impotent man, a very pointed question. Wilt thou be made whole? 
I say it is a pointed question because Jesus didn't expect this man to be able to answer it. Rather, he asked it as a form of making a point. Jesus wasn't inquisitive as to whether or not this pool truly had miraculous healing powers. He already knew the answer to that question. Have you ever asked your child a question? Not to receive an answer, but to make a point. I'm sure that we all who are parents have. And this is what Jesus is doing here. Now consider this. The scripture tells us that there were a multitude of folks around this pool. We read it just a moment ago in John chapter 5 and verse 3. In these lay a great multitude of impotent folk, of blind, halt, withered, waiting for the moving of the water. Now, I'm no census expert, but the definition of multitude is a large and definite number or a large gathering of people. So, I suppose it is safe to assume that there are more than two or three people here. In fact, the scripture uses the adjective great to describe this multitude. To try to gain a perspective of this multitude, I did a great deal of research on this pool at Bethesda and discovered that it was actually two pools side by side. They were combined approximately 80 yards long and 50 yards wide. In other words, the pool at Bethesda was nearly the size of a football field. Now, usually a great multitude of folks gathered around a football field constitutes between 50 to 70,000 people, right? So, given this information, it is likely that we are talking about thousands of impotent people, not just a few, but thousands. And this truly has great significance to you and me today. You see, Jesus did not address this entire multitude of impotent people. He sought out this one man among these many thousands and asked him and him alone this question, Wilt thou be made whole? It is obvious that all of these people are suffering from some sort of infirmity. Yet, Jesus focused his attention on only this one man. Was he a special man? He must have been a dignitary. He must have been of noble birth if the Lord would walk past thousands and thousands and thousands and come to this one man. This must have been the son of a king. It, it, it must have been a foreign ambassador. It must have been someone of, of great importance. However, I must refute this opinion also. For this man attested that he had no one to help him. He was all alone. Now certainly, if he was a man of wealth or, or of importance, he would have an entourage of men to help him and make sure he was the first into the water. But alas, we, we see he's alone. And we see this sad testimony in verse number 7, where we, we read, The impotent man answered him, Sir, I have no man when the water is troubled, to put me into the pool. And here we see the truth, my dear friends, in the beauty today of election. 
This man had nothing to offer the Lord. Nothing whatsoever. Yet he was chosen from among the thousands and given the gift of healing by his Savior. And such it is with all of us here this morning. Whether you are saved or not, all of us are helpless and hopeless apart from the sovereign grace of God. So this morning, let us consider ourselves today as we consider this man and answer that pointed question of the Lord, Wilt thou be made whole? First this morning, I want us to see that he was crippled from his infirmities. We read it a moment ago in John chapter 5 and verse 5. And a certain man was there which had an infirmity thirty and eight years. Each of us here today, whether we are saved or not, was or is equally crippled by our infirmities or our sins. Scripture confirms this to us. In Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1, we read, And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. In Colossians chapter 2 and verse 13, Paul writes, And you, being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. Hmm. Now, I wonder what Paul meant when he said dead. Anybody know what dead means? If we had a cadabra here today, if we had a dead man, and I preached the gospel to it all day long, could that dead man get up? No. That dead man couldn't move. My voice wouldn't stir this dead man back to life. Ah, but the Holy Spirit of God can. And that's exactly what happened to you and I. We were spiritually dead in trespasses and sin. Totally incapable of responding to God. But He has quickened us, made us alive by His Holy Spirit. And hath given us the faith to believe. Now while the scripture is not certain as to what this man's infirmity was it is clear that this infirmity has crippled him, has brought him to the place where he is unable to care for himself. And this is exactly the spiritual state of every man that has ever been born of woman. We have all been crippled by sin. Now, there are some things this morning that you need to know about sin. First, I want you to know that sin will deceive you. In Romans chapter 7 and verse 11, Paul writes, For sin, taking occasion by the commandment, deceived me, and by it slew me. Sin always seems to be less threatening than it truly is. Did you hear what I said? Sin always seems to be less threatening than it really is. This was true in the Garden of Eden when Eve sinned. In Genesis 3, 6, we read, And when the woman uh, saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof, and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. And Eve was deceived by sin. Eve, looking at that fruit and seeing it was good for food and desirable, she took partook of that, not seeing the, 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 the horror and the terrible things that would come from that sin. And sin deceives us. 
She was deceived. She was lured into a trap. How many of you have ever had mice in your home? How many of you have set out a mouse trap to catch that mouse? Yeah. Now, the interesting thing is the mouse trap without cheese wouldn't interest the mouse, would it? I've bought some of these newfangled traps that have, you don't put bait on it. It's got the plastic thing that's supposed to have the aroma of, of, of food. And I've, I've literally seen the mice go around the thing. You've got to have bait to make the trap of interest. It's the aroma of the cheese that draws the attention of the mouse. This aroma, which is recognized by the mouth, starts his urges, his desires boiling in his mind until finally he can resist no longer and he comes to the trap with his little mousey nose, expecting to enjoy this piece of cheese. But alas, I sit in my chair and hear that familiar snap. And I put another notch in my, in my chair. This is exactly what happens to us. We are attracted by the glitz and the glamour of this world. The activities of the world are portrayed as just innocent fun or, or even profitable to us in, in some way. The beautiful people are laughing and frolicking in the sun on these commercials, aren't they? They're filled with joy and happiness. But what about the realities of life? Eric, I mean, Jason, bring up the first slide for me. You know what that is? It's a smoker's lung. Back in the days when we had cigarette commercials of Marlboro Man riding on his, on his steed, magnificent, manly man. Everyone wanted to be the Marlboro Man. But you see, they never, they, at the end of their commercial, they don't take you to the emphysema ward. They don't take you to the cancer wards. Bring up the next slide, Jason. As a healthy liver and a cirrhosed liver. It's Miller time. It's time to relax. Yeah, it's time to relax, all right. As you lay in a hospital bed waiting for a liver transplant. You see, this is the real results of sin. Not the well-dressed man. You can take those off, Jason. I'm sure it's not something people want to sit and look at too long. Not the well-dressed man and the woman sailing off into the night. Not the muscular and masculine man riding off on horseback into the sunset. It's the rehab centers. It's the divorce courts. It's the intensive care units. It's the surgeon's scalpel. These are the realities of sin. But sin will deceive you. If you are foolish enough to become deceived, Sin deceives. But not only will sin deceive you, but secondly, sin will enslave you. In John chapter 8 and verse 34, we read, Jesus answered them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Whosoever committeth sin is the servant of sin. Sin is like unto a pool of quicksand. Once you step into it, it pulls you down further and further. At first, 
It is slow and subtle. In fact, you may not even realize you are in sin. Then when you realize what is happening, it's too late. The more you struggle, the faster you are pulled down and you cannot escape. This is something that all of us have experienced, including King David. In Psalm 73 and verse 2, David states, But as for me, my feet were almost gone. My steps had well nigh slipped. He found himself sinking in sin and despair. And the grievous clutches of sin knows no mercy. Sin keeps us from doing that which we know to do. Turn with me in your Bibles to Romans chapter 7. Let's all turn together. Romans chapter 7. And we'll begin reading at verse 14. Beginning at verse 14 we read, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. For that which I do I allow not, For what I would, that do I not, but what I hate, that do I. If then I do that which I would not, I consent unto the law that it is good. Now then it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. For I know that in me that is in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good, I find not. For the good that I would, I do not, but the evil which I would not, that I do. It's a tongue twister. Try to read that three times fast. What's Paul saying? He says, I know, I know that this is wrong, but I just can't seem to help doing it. You ever been there? Hmm? I'm going to tell you something. I know, I, and, and I'm going to tell you, it's not just lost people that are there. Christians are there. I had a dear friend of mine in Louisiana. He, he, he got saved, and, and, and he, for, for the first year of his salvation... He didn't come to church. And every day, every week, I'd see him at work. He'd come by my office and he'd say, you know, I just know I need to be there, but I just can't seem to get there. You see, God's people aren't immune to this. God's people can become enslaved to sin all over again. Because we can, can, can yield our members unto unrighteousness. And this, this impotent man was, was in his infirmities. But, but I must say today that some of God's people are also still in their infirmities. Sin will enslave us. It will, it will make us do what we don't want to do. And it will keep us from doing what we ought to do. Sin deceives us. It enslaves us. And then thirdly, sin will destroy you. James chapter 1, verses 13 through 15, Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Notice the ultimate conclusion of sin, and that is death. But now wait a minute. All men die. So if the only result of sin is death, then what's the big deal? Because none of us can avoid dying. But sin results in two deaths. In Revelation chapter 20 and verse 14 we read, And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second 
death. Oh yes, there's two deaths. There's the death of the body and the death of the soul. Now let's look at these two deaths briefly for a moment. First, let's consider the physical death. In Romans 5, 12, we read, Wherefore is by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. And this was, of course, the sin of Adam. And the sinful nature of man is passed from generation to generation through the seed of man. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 3. Let's all turn together. Genesis chapter 3. And let's look at verse number 17. Genesis chapter 3 and verse 17. We read here, And unto Adam he said, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it, cursed is the ground for thy sake. In sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. Thorns also and thistles shall it bring forth to thee, and thou shalt eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread, till thou return unto the ground. For out of it wast thou taken, for dust thou art, and unto dust shalt thou return. And we see here uh, the curse placed upon Adam, and that curse passes from generation to generation because of sin. And this shall continue until the end of this age. In Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 27 We read, and as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this, the judgment. All men shall taste of physical death. This is a curse of the fall. And death awaits all of us because of sin. But secondly, we also must consider the spiritual death. In Ezekiel chapter 18 and verse 4, we read, Behold, all souls are mine, as the soul of the Father so also the soul of the Son is mine. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. And this is, of course, the second death. The body dies, the physical death, and goes to the grave. And here the souls of sinners await the final judgment, the second death. In Revelation chapter 20, verse 13, we read, And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged, every man, according to their works. And this judgment is the final stopping point before these lost souls are deposited into their eternal abode, the lake of fire. In Revelation 21 and 8 we read, But the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. And in verse 15 of Revelation chapter 20, we read, And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Oh yes, my brothers and sisters, make no mistake today. Romans 6.23 states, For the wages of sin is death. The just recompense or payment of our sin is eternal separation and damnation in the lake of fire, the second death. Sin deceives you, it enslaves you, and it destroys you. And just as this man in John chapter 5, we have been crippled by our infirmities. But then also I want us to see that we're similar to this man, number two, because he was locked into traditions. He was locked into traditions. In John chapter 5, 
We read again, verses 1 through 4. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is at Jerusalem by the sheep market a pool, which is called in the Hebrew tongue Bethesda, having four, five porches. And I, I won't take time to read all the, four of these verses, but uh, this man was locked into his, his religious traditions. He was desperate. So desperate was he that he resorted to folklore to help. The tradition was that at certain times, an angel would descend into the pool and deliver healing to the first person to enter this pool. Whether this was fact or legend is unconfirmed by Scripture. His purpose here was not, of the Lord's purpose here, was not to validate this legend. In fact, his purpose here was to redeem an elect child of God, to show forth the glory and grace of God unto salvation. Jesus, I believe, was here to show that tradition does not save. He was here to show that the traditions of men cannot be compared to the glory found in the Lord. In Colossians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, we, we read, Beware, lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit, after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And such is the state of so many people today. They are locked into tradition above the truth of the gospel. I hear this all the time in speaking with people. Well, I'm a Baptist, they'll say. Oh, I'm a Catholic. No, I, I'm a Methodist. I, I'm an Episcopalian. Right down the line. And all of this is steeped in tradition. This impotent man had turned to the only religion he has known, and such is the state of men today. They turn to the only thing they know, the traditions of men, the traditions of religion. But what is religion? Well, religion, according to the Scripture, is this. James chapter 1 and verse 27. Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this. Now look at the list. To visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. Now can anyone identify what those two things are for me? Anyone have an idea? They're called works, aren't they? These are works. So religion is works. For by grace are you saved and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God not of works. I believe works are important. I believe, I believe as God's children, we ought, to, we ought to serve. We ought to do works. But that doesn't save us. We will not be made whole by our works. This man was, was trying to follow religion for his, for his healing. And let me, let me just state today that there are many who call themselves Christians who are doing the very same thing. My family, whom I love dearly, my mother and my father and my sisters and their, their children, are all locked into a false religion, the Roman Catholic Church. You'd say, oh, Brother Epstein, you shouldn't say that. Okay, well, then don't say it. But I'm sorry, I'm going to say it. There are, there are millions of people around this world deceived today by religion. 
There is no hope. There is no redemption in religion. And this man is, he, he's laying by this pool and he's, he's looking at religion to help him. And he has no help. He was in his infirmities. He was looking to traditions. And then lastly this morning, as is some of us, he invested his hope in that which could not help. He invested his hope in that which could not help. In verse 7 of John chapter 5, we read, The impotent man answered him, Sir, I have no man when the water is troubled to put me into the pool. But while I am coming, another steppeth down before me. This man invested his hope for healing in the chance that he could get into the water before anyone else could get into the water. This screams to me of the plight of so many today. You've heard this as much as I have from people. Things such as, well, I'm a pretty good person. I I think I'll get to heaven because I'm I'm a pretty good person. They'll say, oh, I pay all my bills and I don't hurt anybody. So I I think I'm okay. Or maybe they'll say, well, I think I'm okay just like I am. I'm, I'm not as bad as some others. There's others worse than me. Of course, some will say, well, my mom and dad, they're good Christians, so I, I, know, that, I know that I'm okay. You know, I, I grew up honestly believing, I was Roman Catholic, and this is what I believed. I believed that when you died, you stood before God, and he had a scale. And he put all your good works on this side and all your bad works on this side. And whichever side tipped determined your eternal state. That sounds funny, doesn't it? But that's what I believed. That's exactly what I And let me tell you, there are millions of people in a saint-something church somewhere believing that same thing right now. And this is where they're putting their hope. They're putting their hope, well, if I do enough good, okay, so, well, I stole a loaf of bread. So if I go over here and do enough good, see, I can pull that loaf of bread out. Of, I, can, I can counteract that. And this is what people are investing their hope in today. Now, don't look at me like I'm from planet Mars because you know I'm right. You may not like to hear me say it, You may not like it when a preacher takes a shot at other religions, but pray tell, tell me who's supposed to take the shots. This is the house of the Lord, is it not? This is the the desk of the Lord, is it not? The truth is to come forth from this place. And if we put our hope, if we invest our efforts into anything but the shed blood of Jesus alone, we have no hope for eternal life. There's only one way to heaven. Let's all turn to John chapter 14 together. John chapter 14. Wait, you you looked at my notes, Alice? John chapter 14 and verse 6. 
Now, let me tell you something. You won't go to any church anywhere other than a Bible-believing, fundamental church. You won't go anywhere and hear this verse quoted. Look what it says. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. Not by Mary. Not by baptism. Not by the holy orders. Not by the sacraments. Not by having your family pay thousands of dollars over their lifetime to pray you out of purgatory. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. Finished business. End of discussion. This morning there may be some of you here that are not born again. You do not know the Lord as your Savior. You are just like this man today. You've been crippled by your infirmities. Romans 3.23 For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You are locked into traditions. Romans 10.3 For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. You are investing your hope in that which cannot save. Romans 10, 9 and 10, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. So since you are like this man in every other way, will you be like this impotent man and be made whole today? In John 5, our text verse 8 and 9, we read, Jesus saith unto him, Rise, take up thy bed and walk. And immediately the man was made whole and took up his bed and walked. And on the same day was the Sabbath. The man didn't have to get into the pool because the pool couldn't heal him. The man heard the call of the Savior. And the call of the Savior made him whole. Call upon the Lord and be saved today. Paul writes in Romans chapter 10 and verse 8, But what saith it? The word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart. That is, the word of faith which we preach. In verse 13, he states, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Then there are others here this morning that are saved. But just as this impotent man, you have fallen away from the Lord. You have fallen back under the power of your infirmities. You have forgotten truth and are following the traditions of men. You have traded the Christian walk for the comforts of this world, and as such you have invested your hope into that which cannot help. To you this morning I say, come home. Remember the prodigal son. Come home to your father today. He is waiting and watching for you. Let's pray. Our Father, thank you for your word. And Lord, we know today that your will is that we be saved. And there may be some here today, Father, who who are not saved, and I pray that they would hear the call of the Savior. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them and they follow me. I pray, Lord, that if there be any here today who are not saved, that they would hear the call of Christ and would come to Thee for repentance.
And then, Lord, I pray that those of us who are saved here today, I pray that we would examine our lives and that if we find ourselves in the way of this impotent man, that we would rise up, take our beds and walk, that we would draw nigh unto you, and, Lord, that we would return as a prodigal son, that we would come home and serve the Father. Thank you for this day and the time that we have. I pray your Holy Spirit now would work in our hearts. I pray that all glory would be given unto you. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.